Hello everybody, it is Michael back with another episode of the Under Pressure Podcast. I appreciate your guys' support a ton. It really means a lot. We got a ton of stuff that's been going down in the NBA world. NBA free agency has started and that has been super interesting. A ton of very, very interesting signings and trades to talk about. We got NFL Week 11 and yeah, let's get right into the episode. First, I want to talk about the Atlanta Hawks and the very interesting position they've put themselves uh, in going into this next season. They have made some very, very interesting signings that have put a lot of people on notice. Uh, Danilo Gallinari signed with about a three-year, $60 million contract. Uh, definitely an interesting signing from them uh, and an interesting signing for him as he had come out with some comments talking about uh, him wanting uh, to win a championship instead of really taking uh, a contract that would give him the most money, but he did uh, take the bag with the Atlanta Hawks, and it does make sense. At the end of the day, he is a 30-plus-year-old player who has dealt with some injuries throughout his career, even though he has been quite healthy these past couple years. It makes sense for him to take uh, the secure money on a pretty long-term deal for someone of his age, and I like that uh, quite a lot for him especially. They also signed Chris Dunn, two-year, $10 million. I like that uh, signing a ton. One of my favorite signings of the NBA offseason, which sounds kind of weird because Chris Dunn, at the end of the day, is a role player. Uh, but him being a backup point guard behind Trey Young, them getting a much more defensive guys, he's one of the top five uh, def- defensive point guards in the league, and that's not even like an argument for me. He is an incredible defender, and though... Y- you may not see that because he's on was on the Chicago Bulls and they don't really get much attention. He is truly a lockdown defender, so I just like that dynamic changing uh, from Trey Young, who's the worst defender in the league, to one of the uh, upper echelon defensive point guards. And if Trey Young ever gets injured, you can still have some uh, solid point guard play. They also signed Rajon Rondo, who I think won't actually be playing like that many minutes. I think Chris Dunn should be uh, more of the backup, but having Rajon Rondo for his leadership, for the things that he can teach Trey Young as a fellow excellent playmaker, I think that's going to be super valuable. And if they're in a playoff series against a good team, we've seen Rajon Rondo consistently step up in the playoffs and play his best basketball at those times. We saw it with the Los Angeles Lakers this season, where I thought Rondo's career was basically done. He was atrocious in the regular season, was a massive negative for the Los Angeles Lakers, but Uh, yet again stepped up and was playoff Rondo. So definitely like that signing. They're also looking at signing Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh, They offered four years, 72 million to him. And uh, it's expected that the Kings won't match that. So that's another really, really nice piece. And they've had a super interesting off season, but going into next season, uh, I'm very interested to see what they'll do because they have so many pieces that it honestly might be a detriment to them. And that may sound weird because it's like you want to have as many good players on your roster as possible. But if you think about it, you got Trey Young, Bogdan Bogdanovich, uh, John Collins, Danilo Gallinari, uh, Clint Capella. You got uh, Chris Dunn, Rajon Rondo, uh, Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, Onyeka Kongwu. Like you have so many pieces on that roster. There's even more guys that I didn't even name. You got uh, Kevin Herter where it may be honestly too many guys, especially for them being a young team and a lot of those guys needing patience and needing development, especially guys like Cam Reddish who have super high potential but are more of a project. I just don't know uh, really what they're going to do. And then with the John Collins situation, which has been one of the most interesting things uh, about their offseason so far, is that John Collins wants a max contract, and it seems like they're not wanting to give him that, especially with the Daniel Gallinari signing. Because 
in the modern NBA, I just don't think Danilo Gallinari can be a three. He is not even a good defender at the four, so putting him at the three where he's going to be outmatched athletically most of the time, uh, it just doesn't make sense, and your team is already going to be uh, not that good and held back on defense due to how bad Trey Young is. So you want to def- uh, put him around as many really good defenders as possible. So putting Gallinari at the three would be really weird, and then putting someone like him off the bench would make even less sense with him being paid that much and him being just such a solidified really good player and then John Collins is a guy who isn't that good on the defense side of the ball either definitely improving and is getting better every single year but is still at the end of the day a below average defender so having those two in the front court where they're both like solidified fours they're neither of them are fives or threes they don't have that versatility both of them are fours in this modern nba and even though we live in the era where it's all about versatility it's all about being able to play multiple positions at the end of the day those guys can't john collins is not nearly good enough of a rim protector or defender to play the center position and then he's just too big and not quick enough on the perimeter even though he's pretty quick for a four out of three he'd be outmatched and then Danilo Gallinari has the same issues with him not being able to play a three and there's no way he could play center we basically only saw him do that a little bit against the Houston Rockets and that's such a unique circumstance with the lineup that the Houston Rockets ran so honestly I could see a big trade coming soon I could see the next star player that wants out being in an being an Atlanta Hawk because there's a lot of nice pieces on this roster and at the end of the day you're probably not going to be able to play them all someone like a DeAndre Hunter or like a a Cam Reddish is going to be left out of the development which which sucks because those guys were pretty high picks for them like DeAndre Hunter was the fourth pick Cam Reddish was the 10th pick I'm pretty sure and those guys both have potential DeAndre Hunter has the potential to be a really nice just three and D wing who fits into the modern NBA so well with his size versatility on the defensive side of the ball. And then his three-point shooting ability, Cam Reddish is a really high-potential player who, though had a pretty uh, rocky start to the season, did show some really nice flashes uh, to towards the end of the season. But you also could think those flashes weren't legit because that was when the Hawks were basically tanking and that was towards the end of the season where a lot of teams kind of relax. The seedings are more solidified. So you could think think that was a fluke but you could also very well think that's legit and then you got a guy like Kevin Herter who's already a very very good shooter if you're getting Bogdan Bogdanovich which it looks like you will you get a great shooter solid defender uh, good ball handler good playmaker as well there's just so many guys and so much versatility on this roster that it could be a, a detriment it they could could very well have a similar thing to where the Boston Celtics had where you have so many guys and then so many people wanting to prove themselves John Collins is trying to get the max contract before we know it DeAndre Hunter and Kevin Herter will need to get uh, well Kevin Herter DeAndre Hunter Cam Reddish those guys will need to get their extension Trey Young is trying to prove that he's a winning player in this league and that he doesn't put up empty stats so there's just so much that's going to be going on with this team where I could see them booming and I think they're going to be a good team regardless but i could also see them being disappointing and i think we need to slow down on how good we think this team is going to be because they have so much talent but they also have a lot of things that couldn't go well and i know it's makes a lot of sense for atlanta hawks fans to be happy they've been terrible these past couple years and now you're finally getting like your glimpse of hope but I saw someone saying are they going to be a top four seed in the east like we need to slow down on that uh because 
it's just a lot of expectations to put on these young guys, an unproven coach, and a lot of unproven players. And they're in probably the most interesting position now going into this next season in the NBA because uh, it's are you going to trade John Collins because he wants a max contract and you signed another four who needs to get heavy minutes and can't really play any other position? What are you going to do with your young wings that definitely need development and are going to need patience, but you're trying to win right now? What are you going to do with Onyeka Kongwu, who is a really, really nice player who can play the four and the five, even though I'd like him at the five? What are you going to do with Clint Capella, a player who... We haven't even seen play with him yet. But is the prototypical center you want with Trey Young, a guy who rolls to the rim, runs the floor very well, is a good defender, catches lobs super well. What are you going to do with him when you picked a center very, very high? And he's very good. I love Onyeka Kongwu, probably my favorite prospect of the whole 2020 NBA draft. And, yeah, they're just in a very interesting crossroads right now. And I'm really excited to see what happens if a Bradley Beal comes – becomes available they're automatically going to be one of the teams that are up there uh for who's going to trade for a star uh, player like that but if someone doesn't become available i could also see this atlanta hawks team kind of falling flat on their face if there's so many guys who want to prove themselves and at the end of the day basketball players have egos they're the best at what they do in the entire world so telling a guy like cam reddish who probably uh, after he had such a good ending to the season where he was averaging like 17 for like a month he's like he might be very frustrated if there's a night where he's just not playing that many minutes and that very well could happen when you have Bogdan Bogdanovich you have Kevin Herter you have DeAndre Hunter you have Gallinari there's so many pieces on this roster and it could go very well but I could also just see it going very bad so yeah super interesting position uh, but a good position at the end of the day because it gives them a ton of versatility, gives them a ton of flexibility on what they can do in the future. Uh, and it's going to be super exciting to see what happens with this Atlanta Hawks team. Definitely think a lot of people need to slow down on the hype for them. But it makes a lot of sense. They're going to be super fun next year. They're going to be one of the best offenses in the entire league. Maybe even the best with how much talent they have on the offensive side of the ball. Definitely worried about them on defense. And that's what I think will hold them back the most. Because at the end of the day, you can put up as many points as you want. But if you're letting the other team score more, uh, especially when you have so many young guys who are going to be inconsistent, then you're going to lose games at times. You're going to lose to teams that are probably on paper worse than you. Uh, but just because that defense is so bad and there's going to be inconsistencies from those guys. And it's going to be hard for Lloyd Pierce to manage all these egos, all these players. And I don't know really much about him as a coach because we've seen him put with a terrible roster for these past couple of years. So yeah, Atlanta Hawks, very interesting position, but not a bad position by any means. And I'm super excited for it. I think it's going to be a really fun season for them next year. Uh, and I think they're going to be a playoff team. Next, I want to talk about the Los Angeles Lakers just getting even better. And I absolutely love what they've done this offseason because they very, very well could have got complacent and just stayed with the same roster because that roster was so good last year and just dominated. And I, if even if they stayed with the same roster, I thought they would have dominated again. But I absolutely love 
that Rob Polinka is showing zero complacency, and he's noticing that almost everyone else in the league is getting better, so they have to improve their roster. Uh, the Dennis Schroeder trade, that already happened a little bit ago. I discussed that. I think that's a phenomenal trade. A real third guy who can uh, score the ball super well, who can handle the ball, who can play make. Uh, was a very good three-point shooter last season and has basically always been a good catch-and-shoot th- uh, player throughout his career so I think that's a phenomenal fit you get Wesley Matthews a 3 and D guy who though is pretty inconsistent especially as a shooter is a guy who brings solid enough size and is going to play a uh, good defense and is just going to be a winning player out there a player who fits super well next to LeBron James and I'm sure LeBron will find a way to maximize him uh, better than almost anyone else could you get Montrez Harrell which was easily probably the most surprising signing of the entire offseason because I thought Harrell uh, would either stay with the Clippers on kind of the same prove-it deal that he got with the Lakers or he would go to a team like the Charlotte Hornets, uh, just someone who has a lot of money and he could probably have inflated stats and look better than he actually was. But he signs with the Lakers, and though he looked terrible in the playoffs, I think such a great defensive team around him and a really good a defensive coaching staff can kind of hide his deficiencies on that side of the ball, and then he's going to be maximized on the offensive side of the ball. A pick and roll with LeBron James is going to be killer. Uh, you have much better playmaking than that uh, Clippers team had last year, and he thrives uh, when he has someone to get him the ball, especially in the pick and roll. He kills it in the pick and roll. So you only get him for two years, $19 million, and the second year is a player option. I probably expect him to opt out of that. But just for a season even, uh, having him to bring that energy off the bench, uh, bring that hustle, I think is phenomenal for them. And I think he's going to be even better with the Los Angeles Lakers. You have the top two six-man-of-the-year candidates on your team now after you already won the championship. And your biggest weakness last year was depth. Like, this team is crazy. And they've done a masterful job. You also get Marcus Hall, who even though is definitely... Uh, taking a pretty big step back, and I feel like a lot of people are overreacting to the signing a bit. Like he was outplayed by Daniel Tice in the series against the Celtics, but at the end of the day, Marcus Hall is still a super smart player who is going to be valuable to this team. He can play make very well. He, though not having the athleticism, uh, he's really never had it. But now that he's even older, he has it even less. He's a very good defender who's so smart on that side of the ball. We saw him lock up Joel Embiid in the series just a year ago. We saw him cause him to have that zero-point game. He's one of the better defensive centers in the league, even though he's this old. Could still shoot the ball a little bit, very inconsistent. But just having the threat, especially next to a guy like Anthony Davis, giving him more room to operate in the post where he's one of the most dominant players in the league, uh, it's another beautiful signing. And then you're not going to... Uh, have to really pay for him. They get him on a two-year contract. I'm assuming uh, that second year will probably have like a player option or a team option. But this is such a good move, especially with the loss of Dwight Howard, which was definitely a weird thing. That was so that was so so weird. Whereas one second he's signing back to the Lakers, and then he's still uh, thinking about his options, and then a minute later he's on the 76ers. Getting a nice replacement for something like that is super nice. Um, they got rid of Javale McGee, who's he was he was bad for them last year like especially in the playoffs he was literally unplayable 
And they really didn't lose much. Like, they lost guys that were nice for their team, don't get me wrong. Avery Bradley was a super nice piece, but we saw in the bubble, they could be successful without Avery Bradley. They can find defensive guards. They re-signed Catavius Caldwell-Pope, who's a good defender. Alex Caruso is a good defender. Like, they still have plenty of uh, defense at the guard position on their team. Dennis Schroeder is a solid enough defender. Losing Rondo and his uh, veteran leadership, his uh, playoff experience and how good he plays in the playoffs hurts, but at the end of the day, he's not a big enough piece where it's going to hurt their team. Dwight Howard, you replace him with Marcus Gasol, who's though is uh, much less athletic, is a worse rebounder, is a 10 times better shooter, uh, way better playmaker, and a uh, just a much smarter basketball player. You lose Quinn Cook, who is nothing for your team. And then Danny Green, who is so inconsistent as a shooter, even though that's what he's supposed to do. And then you get Dennis Schroeder out of that. Like, I got to give so much props to Rob Palenka and everybody in the Lakers front office for not staying uh for just not staying complacent and getting even better after you win a championship. They've done a masterful job this offseason. Easily one of the biggest winners uh even after they won the championship. An incredible offseason for the Los Angeles Lakers, and I definitely expect them to repeat next year. Next, I want to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. I feel like they are having a super underrated uh, free agency. Obviously, they didn't make the Drew Holiday trade, which I think is a massive one for them. Gives them another guy who can create his own shot. Gives them even better defense at the guard position than Eric Bledsoe, and he's already a great defender. Gives them more playmaking as well, just more guys who can handle the ball. I uh, absolutely love that because him and Chris Middleton are on a pretty even tier. And I don't think Giannis needs like an, another superstar alongside him. I think he needs like a 2A and 2B, which is what they have now. And then they signed Bobby Portis, who I think will be really nice for them. Bobby Portis played last year with the Knicks, really didn't do anything because, I mean, he was on the Knicks. Like, what do you expect? But at the end of the day, he's a big who can shoot the ball. Obviously, the Bucks love that. He's not great on the defense side of the ball, but his deficiencies can be uh, hit by whether he's playing next to Giannis or whether he's playing next to uh, Brooke Lopez. And he could just be out of their way on allow Giannis his uh, space to operate. Definitely want to see Giannis more in the pick and roll. So if you had a guy like Bobby Portis in the corner, uh, you're running a pick and roll with Drew Holiday and Giannis. That's a deadly. You have Chris Middleton on the wing. Uh, you have Bryn Forbes on the wing who is an amazing pickup for them from the San Antonio Spurs, a guy who, though, uh, can't really do much on the court. One thing he can do is he can shoot the hell out of the ball. Uh, a very, very good shooter, one of the better in the league. Can also handle it a little bit and be a playmaker. You also sign Torrey Craig, who can be a really nice defensive wing off the bench for them. Surprised that the Denver Nuggets uh, let him go because though he was never like a huge piece for them, he was definitely important. Uh, and the Bucks. Uh, can put him on one of the better wings on whatever team they're facing. And though he isn't much of an offensive player, he can shoot the ball good enough. And his defense that he brings is so, so valuable that it's going to be impactful for them. This team is going to be ridiculous on the defensive side of the ball. And then you can hide below average defenders like the like Bobby Portis, like Bryn Forbes, like DJ Augustine, when you have so many good defensive pieces around him. And then, uh, like I said, the DJ Augustine signing, a Great, great signing. Uh, a really nice backup point guard who can create his own shot, who can shoot the ball very, very well. Has been one of the more consistent shooters in the league. Can also uh, play and make pretty well. Works well in the pick and roll. And though they didn't make that star acu uh, acquisition in free agency, uh, they didn't need to because they already had enough really good pieces on their team. So just getting nice role players who can fill out that bench 
Uh, and now that the uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich thing has just completely fallen through, you're still going to keep some of that depth. You're going to keep a guy like Dante DiVincenzo off the bench, who's a really good defender and, and in improving on offense, had a really good season for them last year. This is just a really nice uh, position to be in for the Bucks. I think they got a lot better. Uh, and I absolutely love it because they need to keep Giannis Adendokupo at the end of the day. Uh, if Even if they're not a championship team next year, they have to make the finals and they have to do everything they can to keep Giannis uh, on that team. And I think they've done basically everything that they can with not much flexibility. So that uh, honestly, next year is all about Giannis proving himself to be one of the best players in the league. Because if he can't win with this roster, it's absolutely time to stop giving excuses to him. And even I've been a player, to, uh, been a person to give excuses to Giannis because I know how talented he is. So uh, you put a perfect roster around him, and at the end of the day, you got to put your trust in your superstar player. And it's time for Giannis to deliver. Next, I want to talk about the Celtics offseason a little bit and just have a little bit of a rant as a Boston Celtics fan myself. And this may go in a different direction than you expect. So Gordon Hayward obviously did opt out, uh, signed a four-year, $120 million contract with the Hornets, which is just wild. And Danny Ainge was getting so much criticism from Celtics fans, from non-Celtics fans about this situation. Because it came out that there was a rumor that uh, Miles Turner and uh, Doug McDermott were on the table for him in a sign-in trade, uh, but he turned it down uh, and wanted a player like TJ Warren or Victor Oladipo. And then so many people were frustrated at that, and they became even more frustrated when uh, Gordon Hayward signed with the Hornets. But I feel like people don't realize, first of all, those are just rumors. Those weren't reported by, like, Woj or Sham. And at the end of the day, these are just discussions. Like, we don't know what's happening within those front offices. Like, a deal very may well have been in place, and the Celtics could have got Miles Turner and Doug uh, McDermott. But uh, Gordon Hayward got four years, $120 from the Hornets. You think... The Pacers were going to give Gordon Hayward that much money. No one in the league was except for the Charlotte Hornets. So I just feel like it's so dumb to be so critical of Danny Ainge when it wasn't his fault. Like you think such a smart GM like Danny Ainge would just pass up on the opportunity to get uh, two players who could help his team a lot. No, like that's absolutely ridiculous of people to think that and give him that much criticism at the end of the day gordon hayward went to the place where he's going to get the most money and this criticism that i've seen where the south it's like oh the celtics have lost three max players have people just forgot what the what the concept of free agency is like these guys were unrestricted free agents Kyrie irving was clearly unhappy in the situation that whole situation was just a match and you could very well put that mess of a situation on danny ainge i completely understand that they had way too many shot creators way too many guys who needed a lot of shots they should have got rid of guys like marcus morris they should have got rid of guys like terry rozier when they were mo their most valuable completely understand that sentiment but at the end of the day, yeah, that Kyrie Irving situation was just a mess. He left. Uh, you could definitely blame that on Danny Ainge. The Al Horford thing, literally not his fault at all. Al Horford went to a place where he got way overpaid. 
it looked and it, at first it looked like Al Horford was going to opt out of that contract and then re-sign with the Boston Celtics for lower money. But then he was probably like, oh, this team is going to give me that much money. Like, obviously, he's going to take advantage of that opportunity. And then Gordon Hayward It's basically the exact same situation. So why are we criticizing Danny Ainge so much on things that are honestly out of his hands? And why are we acting like we don't know what a unrestricted free agent is anymore it's not like these guys are restricted free agents and he just let them go no they went to a place where it was going to give way more money and way longer term money than the celtics would and you can't criticize danny Ainge for doing that because if he gave al horford that contract i would have been i would have been so annoyed even as someone who liked al horford a ton on the celtics and everyone else should have been annoyed because that was a terrible contract that made no sense to give such an old player like al horford and i i honestly like the celtics offseason quite a lot they got aaron nesmith in the draft which i love that pick a guy who can really shoot the ball off the bench which is something they've desperately needed for for years now to be honest it's been way too much semi oshley minutes just Everybody on the Celtics bench basically couldn't shoot for these past couple of years. You also get Tristan Thompson, who I think will be a really nice center for them. And they have a pretty solid rotation at the center position, though they still don't have that guy who's going to lock up someone like Bam Adebayo. They have solid enough pieces. Daniel Tice, though we got kind of exposed by Bam, is still a very solid center who played some impactful minutes and was really good for the Celtics last year. Uh, Tristan Thompson, a good defensive center who can rebound the ball uh, very well, and it's just going to do that. Then you got uh, Robert Williams, who I think is going to have a bit of an emergence this season, a super athletic guy who, uh, though his basketball IQ can be put into question, and that's probably his biggest weakness, he has a lot of potential, and I think he'd be really good for the Celtics team. You also get Jeff Teague, who, though hasn't been that good these past couple of years, I think he'll be solid enough at the backup point guard position for the Celtics. They lost Brad Wanamaker, but I'm not the biggest fan of Brad Wanamaker by any means, so... I think the Jeff Teague thing is basically uh, a net uh, equal. You also pick up Payne Pritchard in the draft, which you can uh, definitely criticize Danny Ainge for that. And you can criticize him for a lot of his late first-round picks that he's missed on. Because though the Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown thing uh, have gone phenomenal, and that was ridiculous that the Celtics were able to get that from the Brooklyn Nets, they also missed on a lot of those picks. Like, I, I can count so many times Gershon Yabuselli RJ Hunter like there there's a lot of misses in there for the Celtics but uh, and you can criticize him for that you can criticize him for the Payne Pritchard pick because you get a four-year college player who's I'm pretty sure older than Jason Tatum already and is undersized when there's guys like Tyrell Terry and Desmond Bain available you trade the Desmond Bain pick like there's things to criticize Danny Ainge for, and as a Celtics fan, I'm very willing to do that. I'm not trying to make excuses for him. I'm just trying to put context under these things and give reasoning instead of just spewing out nonsense like so many people have. And yeah, that's my, that's my little rant on the Celtics offseason. I actually don't think it's been too bad. I think a lot of people are overreacting. I've seen so many people acting like the Celtics have gone a lot worse. Where it's like, obviously, losing a valuable piece like Gordon Hayward hurts. By no means am I saying it doesn't. But you still have Jason Tatum, who is a top 12 player in the league. You still have Jalen Brown, who emerged a ton last year and is a top 35 player in the league. You have Kemba Walker, another top, like, 
35, 40 player in the league. You map Marcus Smart, who's one of the most impactful role players, if not the most impactful role player in the entire league. You have a solid center rotation, who though isn't going to lock down a guy like Anthony Davis. Uh, they'll be decent enough and uh, hopefully can just give the Celtics enough to be good. And the Celtics are going to be a very good team next season. I expect them to be a top three seed in the Eastern Conference. I expect them to make a pretty solid playoff push, and people need to chill out, stop overreacting to this uh, Celtics offseason because it's honestly not that bad by any means. Now I want to talk about the Portland Trailblazers and their honestly just incredible offseason that they've had. They have absolutely killed it this offseason. I got to give them a ton of credit. They've gotten a lot better and look to be one of the better Western Conference teams next year. Probably a top four to five seed in a stacked Western Conference. Like if you look at it, they're 12 teams maybe that could very well make a playoff push and could be a playoff team and the Portland Trailblazers will definitely be one of them obviously you have your dynamic backcourt who you've had for years Damian Lillard is one of the 10 to 12 best players in the league uh, CJ McCollum is an excellent second option you trade for Robert Covington which I already talked about that's a phenomenal pick basically the exact perfect fit you want next to uh, those two guys a defensive wing who though was inconsistent as a shooter last year and has kind of been throughout his career he's always going to be a threat out there uh, and is always going to bring excellent defense had his best defensive season of his entire career last year on you really didn't give up much value gave up two picks that uh, with you guys being a contending team aren't, wouldn't mean much to you anyway. You also uh, re-sign, uh, you re-sign uh, Rodney Hood as well, who is a really, really good wing, who can score the ball well, who can play a little bit of defense, is coming off an Achilles injury, but from all uh, accounts, he seems very healthy. Uh, and his confidence to decline his player option and get a bigger contract, I think, shows me that he's ready to come back and have a very good season. You re-sign Carmelo Anthony, who even if he's uh, not going to play big-time minutes for you, which I don't expect him to, as he's probably going to continue to slowly regress, uh, and they definitely have a lot more depth than they had last year, he's going to be a really good locker room guy for you who brings veteran presence, who can uh, shoot the ball very well and was really good as a shooter last year. And the guys on this team really seem to love of Carmelo Anthony. Uh, Damian Lillard has spoke so highly of him, so I definitely like that quite a lot. You get Derek Jones Jr. on a two-year contract who can be another defensive wing for you, who's going to be super athletic uh, out in transition, isn't going to play big minutes, but is probably going to play solid enough minutes to be a decent rotation player for you. Uh, you also get Harry Giles, who is someone who most people have given up on, and for very well reason. He's dealt with so many injuries. He was the number one player in high school, and he's taken a big uh, dip after that, which is really sad to see that someone with so much potential has kind of just flamed out. But I still believe in him. He's one of those players where I just can't give up on because I saw that talent in high school, and I think it's still there. He's uh, big, who can do a lot of different things. He can handle the ball. He can finish inside. He can shoot it a little bit. Uh, I just like Harry Giles a ton. I really hope things work out for him in Portland because he's one of my like favorite uh, younger players that a lot of people have given up on and I still believe in him they also they picked up CJ Ellaby in the second round who probably won't play this year but at some point can be a solid uh, 3 and D wing for them they got Ennis Kander back who I don't expect to play big minutes with how much uh, people they have in the front court with uh, Yusuf Nurkic one of the better centers in the league uh, 
Zach Collins, who's going to play that 4-5, a good shooter, good rebounder, very good defender as well. Uh, but Ennis Kander is going to bring a lot of valuable things to the locker room to them. Uh, he was um, he was amazing for them when he uh, played a couple of years ago in that series uh, against the Nuggets. I remember when him and Jokic were going back and forth. He had like the dislocated shoulder uh, from celebrating with Damian Lillard after he hit the shot, and he was still playing, and he was still playing some excellent basketball. And I think what he's going to bring as a locker room presence is going to be super valuable for that team. I expect Anthony Simons to take another step and be a really solid scoring guard off the bench. Uh, like he's been for these past couple of years, but I just expect him to continue to get better. He was a project uh, going into the league as he came out of high school, uh, and I think he brings some valuable minutes for them. They also have Nazir Little, who is one of the top high school prospects, but really slipped after his season in college. But he's still a really good defender who needs a ton of development on the offensive side of the ball, but, I th- uh, but showed some good flashes for that team, and I think has potential to be uh, a solid rotation piece for them if everything goes well and they just have way more depth than they've had in a long long time a uh, bold prediction but i think this is gonna be the best damian lillard and cj mccullum team even better than the one that made the western conference finals like this team is really good and again way deeper than any team they've probably ever had because last year that was by far their biggest weakness outside of those top guys and then gary trent who emerged in the bubble they really didn't have much depth on that roster at all they had a lot of bad players playing some valuable minutes in the regular season and then having to overplay uh, guys like carmelo anthony in the playoffs so I love this Portland Trailblazers offseason. They're probably the biggest winner to me. They get a big-time A+. I think they're going to be excellent in the Western Conference next season. I think they're probably going to surprise a lot of people who don't realize how good this offseason is. They're going to be much better on the defensive side of the ball as well as getting even better on offense. They got a healthy Yusuf Nurkic, who is going to be amazing for them. I think he's pretty underrated Uh I don't think people really realize that he's one of the better centers in the entire league. A solid enough defender who brings a lot on the offensive side of the ball as well as a post scorer, as a playmaker, as someone who's expanding his range out to the three-point line. It's already solid mid-range shooter. I just absolutely love this Portland Trailblazers offseason. I think they killed it, and I think they deserve a ton of praise for finally making some moves after it felt like for so many years they were just so happy with being like a solid enough team that could win a playoff series, could lose in the first round. This season they really went all in and did a great job. I'm going to take a break, and I'll be right back to talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder, my best signings of the offseason, my worst signing of the offseason, and NFL Week 11. Okay, I'm back, and I want to talk a little bit about the Detroit Pistons and the very, very confusing things that they've been doing. If you watch my draft content, you know I actually praised the Pistons quite a lot. Didn't like the Isaiah Stewart pick, but loved the Killian Hayes pick. Love the Sadiq Bay pick. I think they did a great job with those two picks. But they have made some very, very weird moves this uh, free agency that have just confused the hell out of me, and I'm so lost at what they're doing right now. So they signed Jeremy Grant to a three-year, $60 million contract. And Jeremy Grant is a really, really nice player. I like him a ton. One of the better role players in the league and showed a lot for the Denver Nuggets last year. He was absolutely excellent in that playoff run and was a huge piece for why they were so good. But Jeremy Grant was maximized on that team because he fit so well and he didn't have to be a shot creator. He could do it 
out very occasionally at times, but most of the time he was just a guy who was cut into the basket, who was running in transition, and he absolutely killed it in that. So I don't know why the Pistons would sign him to such a big contract, and you're going to have to put him in a role to be a shot creator. And apparently it came out that he thinks he can be more of a shot creator, more of a lead guy, and that's why he signed with the Pistons instead of signing back with the Nuggets, who gave him the exact same offer. So very weird move, in my opinion, on both sides, because you're going to force him to be something that I don't think he is, and Jeremy Grant wants to be something. And again, I just don't think he is. And that's a big, big contract for a player who is more a role player on a really good team than a player who can be good on a bad team. You also signed Mason Plumlee for three years, $25 million. Another guy from the Denver Nuggets who... I think fits very well on a, on a competitive team where he can be a nice backup center. He can, he's a really good playmaker, can rebound, run the floor. He does a lot of nice things. And he's another player very similar in the vein of Jeremy Grant, who I think is maximized on a good team where he can just be a nice role player. Uh, and that's where his value comes from. So I have no clue why you sign him to a three-year, $25 million contract. Especially, you let Christian Wood go for... Uh, honestly, just not that much. Like, he signed for three years, $41 million. You don't think you could have signed him for that much? Like, it's like, what, like $14 million a year? And Christian Wood showed so many nice signs for you last year. Had that uh, month after uh, Andre Drummond was traded and Blake Griffin was out where he was averaging like 20 and 12. I just don't get why you let him go and then sign these players who don't really even make sense for your roster. You also signed Jaleel Okafor which I just don't get by any means, especially you you drafted Isaiah Stewart. Like, I thought that means, especially where you drafted him, like, if you drafted him in, the, like, the second round, then that would have made a lot more sense. But you traded to get that pick, and it was the 16th overall pick. You draft a center, and then you sign two more centers who are just going to get in his way. You already have a lot of people in the front court, and then you sign Jeremy Grant. Like, I just don't understand what they're doing. It feels like they're already giving up on a lot of that young talent. Isaiah Stewart is now going to be, like, a backup center uh, for a couple years now. You also have uh, Sadiq Bey. You have Seku Deboya. And then you're signing Fords and Jeremy Grant. You're signing Josh Jackson. Like, I'm so confused at what the Detroit Pistons are doing. I have absolutely no clue. You've created this massive logjam. And, I mean, at least they got rid of Tony Bradley. Because if they kept Tony Bradley, another center on their roster who deserved to get minutes, that would have been even weirder. But there's still a logjam at that position. You still have Blake Griffin on your roster, who I don't know what the hell you're going to do with him because he has zero trade value. Uh, and he also doesn't have value to this team. And I'm sick of this of the Pistons trying to just be like a 10th seed, just suck a lot for one season and get a really bad pick, especially in this 2021 class, which is ridiculous with talent. You have Cade Cunningham, you have Jalen Green, you have Jonathan Kaminga. You have so many insane players in this draft that can be true star to superstar level players. So why are you just trying to be like a 10th or 11th or 12th seed again? This is what they do every single year and i don't get it it makes no sense why they're so obsessed with just being below average year in and year out why are you signing players that are going to be impactful to winning on really good teams but are just going to make you a fine enough team and you're going to win some games it just doesn't make sense 
and I was giving them so much credit for the draft because it looked like they were finally done with doing that. It looked like they were finally going to go into a direction where they were just going to tank. They were going to let these young players develop. And I liked a lot of their young players. If they ran out a lineup where it was like Killian Hayes, uh, I don't know who would be at that two position. Uh, maybe Shree Mikhai Luke. You had uh, Seku Demboya. You had uh, Sadiq Bey. You had Isaiah Stewart. Though that team would probably be terrible. I would have liked that, honestly, because at least you have a defined direction. You're going to tank. You're going to try and get your next franchise guy in this super loaded 2021 class. If you could have got Jalen Green to put next to Killian Hayes with those nice wings and with Isaiah Stewart at the center position, that would have been ridiculous. And I mean, you could still do that because at the end of the day, this team is not going to be that good. But I just am so confused why the Detroit Pistons are so obsessed with just being average, especially in a year where fans aren't really even going to be able to come uh, to the stadium like that. Why are you trying to just be an average team? I, I actually like like the Josh Jackson move where you're just taking a flyer on a young guy who actually showed some nice signs for uh, the Grizzlies last year but uh, and was the fourth overall pick a couple years ago, but it's had legal issues and just has been a big disappointment. I like it doing stuff like that. I would have liked if they maybe pulled off a sign-and-trade with uh, Christian Wood or just re-signed him because Christian Wood is a really good player who had a really good season for them last year. I'm just so confused by the Detroit Pistons. They do this every single year where I just don't understand the direction. They still don't have their uh, rose traded, which I think they absolutely should do uh, because it doesn't make sense for him uh, to continue to be on this terrible team when he is an impactful player that can help winning. And again, that's the issue with this team. They're trying to get too many players who are just going to lead you to being a solid enough team, but there's no chance they're going to make the playoffs. They're not going to be better than like the top five teams. They're not going to be better than the Hawks or the Bulls or the Magic. Like I just don't understand the direction of this team at all. I thought I understood it after the draft, but they just completely swerved and went the other way. And the Detroit Pistons, yet again, are fine with being an average team and confusing the living hell out of me. Uh, it's just the perpetual state of the Detroit Pistons. They are just so damn confusing. I, I'm really, really absolutely just lost to what they're doing. Next, I want to talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder and the incredible rebuild that we could be witnessing. This could be the greatest rebuild of all time, and that is no hyperbole. That is no exaggeration. I truly believe that the Oklahoma City Thunder are building something really, really special on this roster. Just looking at the guys they already have on their team, they have Shea Gilders Alexander, who had a great second season and I think is going to be their franchise guy for now, but projects to more be a second star alongside a true number one guy. So you already have someone like that on your roster who is going to be so, so nice for you. Absolutely love them having Shea Gilders Alexander. I think that's great for them. You get uh, Darius Baisley, someone who, though, was wasn't like consistently good last year showed some really really nice signs and had some intriguing games especially towards uh the bubble uh in the playoffs Darius Baisley was really good uh for this Oklahoma City Thunder team and I think he's gonna be a nice four who reminds me of like Lamar Odom a four who can handle the ball who can play make who uh shot was much better than I expected especially when he was showing some uh, nice things in the bubble I absolutely love that for them. You get 
And then you take flyers on guys like Ty Jerome, who didn't do anything last year, but is a tall point guard who can play defense, who can facilitate a little bit as well. Uh, you have guys like Hamadou Diallo on your roster who's super athletic uh, and has some potential. You have Luke Wenstor, who was excellent for you last season as an elite defender, truly locked down on that side of the ball. Uh, you get a guy like uh, Alexis Pokusevsky, who is just an absolute uh, flyer. He could be a player who's going to be out of the league in like three years, but I could also see him being a star level player. He has so much talent. Uh, his ability to handle the ball for his size is really impressive. He can uh, shoot it. He can do a bit of everything out there. He just needs to develop his uh, physical tools quite a lot. You take, you take Theo Maladon, who I think is a great pick for you, a really solid point guard. Kind of reminds me uh, of like uh, Shea Gildas Alexander, like a mini Shea. Uh, probably better as a playmaker, definitely worse as a scorer. I just absolutely love what this Oklahoma City Thunder team is building. And this is not even talking about the ridiculous haul of draft picks they have. They have, I think it's 19 or 20 first round picks in the next seven years, as well as keeping basically all of their own. Uh, their 2022 pick is going to Atlanta, but it's top 14. Uh, it's uh, top 14 protected. And then if it falls in its, and if it falls in that range, they just have to give up two second round picks, which it probably will fall in that range. Cause I don't expect them to be a good team next year. And I just love what they're doing. Cause if they tank this year, which I expect them to, uh, to do and if they get a Cade Cunningham on this team next to Shea Gildas Alexander, Darius Baisley, Luenz Dort, oh my goodness, that is that is some special stuff that they're doing right there. Uh, they just have so many picks and so much flexibility going into these next couple of years where they can go in whatever direction they want. They could be good within a couple of years if they make the right draft picks. They're going to have cap flexibility and they're going to be one of those teams that is always going to be uh, a destination for a star because they have so many picks and they're going to have so many young players on that roster. Or they can take the long process where they just make most of these picks and they take swings on guys. And at a certain point, you have so many picks where it's going to work out at some point. You're going to get uh, a really good guy. You're going to get your star or superstar level talent, especially in that 2021 class where they're going to be tanking. Like, there's no other way around it. They're probably going to be one of, if not the worst team in the league, just due to the direction that they're in. Uh, and Sam Presti is really doing a special job. Uh, he has, at the end of the day, he does have to execute on these picks, and do not get me wrong on that. Like, I'm not just going to continue to credit him if he doesn't do anything with the picks, but I do expect him to do uh, good things with the picks because he's consistently been a very good uh, drafter. I don't like the Kelly Oubre trade just because it's a top 20 protected pick, and then if, uh, if it falls in that range, they only get two seconds. Don't like that, but almost every other move I like a ton. They got a first-round pick for Steven Adams, who's who's just not that uh, valuable of a player uh, at all, especially with the contract that he's on. Like, he's a good player, but the contract that he's on is absolutely ridiculous. You get picks out of that. Like, Sam Presti's doing a ridiculous job, and we may be witnessing the greatest all, uh, rebuild of all time with the Oklahoma City Thunder, and <laughs> some eighth grader is going to be on the Oklahoma City Thunder, and he's going to be a superstar <laughs> And it's going to be really, really special. I absolutely love what they're doing. I love that they're embracing the tank fully, that they're not trying to be good 
uh, next year, especially with them being aware of how good the draft class is. They, they're going to have those Clippers picks, which could very well be some very high-level picks uh, with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George likely leaving that team in free agency. Uh, it's just truly a special thing that the Oklahoma City Thunder are doing. Again, could be the greatest rebuild of all time. I'm predicting it to be. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they're a destination, if a superstar like Giannis Adenkupo is unhappy. Uh, Oklahoma City Thunder is going to be right there on the list. And, yeah, it's really, really special stuff from them. I'm super excited to see what happens in the future. I'm super excited to see the development of these young guys like Darius Baisley, like Pokusevsky, like Shea Gildas Alexander. Uh, it's going to be a really, really fun uh, future for them, though it's going to be painful during the moment when they're a terrible team. You just got to look forward to what's going to happen uh, in the next couple of years for them. And I absolutely love uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder's direction. I think they're doing something really, really special. Next, I want to talk about my best signings of the 2020 NBA offseason. First, starting off with Christian Wood signing three years, $41 million to the Houston Rockets. This is just a phenomenal uh, signing for them. They really needed help at the big man position and getting a center in Christian Wood, who is a really good shot blocker uh, and showed a lot on the offensive side of the ball for the Detroit Pistons last year, uh, is excellent for them, especially they didn't really have to sign him for that much money. Uh, and it's just absolutely amazing. I think he's going to have a breakout season for the Houston Rockets. Uh, if they keep James Harden, Russell Westbrook, which would be weird for them to do, they're going to absolutely maximize Christian Wood. I think he could be a most improved player candidate next year. Uh, it's just amazing for them. He's going to be so, so good. He's going to be able to shoot the hell out of the ball. They can still run that five out kind of small ball lineup, but he also can roll to the rim. He's going to be a great pick and roll mate for both of those guards. He's going to be a great pick and pop mate as well. I uh, can even score the ball off the dribble a little bit. Just gives him a third guy who I'm super confident in, even though it was a limited sample size on a bad team. I just love Christian Wood's skill set. I uh, think he's going to be really special for this team. Uh, it's an amazing signing. You Again, really didn't have to sign him for that much money. Like $14 million a year is nothing for a player who has the potential like Christian Wood does. Uh, and yeah, I just absolutely love it. It's a great signing for the Houston Rockets. They killed it with that one. Next, I got Serge Ibaka signing a two-year $19 million contract to the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, just an absolute perfect signing for them. I was really surprised by it uh, as I knew... I knew Serge Ibaka would be valuable for uh, a competitive team, and then he signs to the Los Angeles Clippers. That's just amazing for them. They get a center who can really, really shoot the ball. He was a problem for the Celtics in the playoffs. They He was getting uh, so many open pick-and-pop threes, and he was uh, taking advantage of that every time. He was incredible in that series, though his defense has slowed down a little bit as he's just gotten older. It's just natural regression. He's still a very good shot blocker who uh, can defend space better than a lot of people his size can. Uh, and it's just very smart on that side of the ball. Gives them the versatility to go big when they're facing the Lakers and they're going big. Uh, he can be a player who, though, is not going to stop Anthony Davis by any means, as no one can. He's one of the most uh, talented offensive players in the entire league. He can do a good enough job of containing him well. Uh, and that's a, a really, really good signing for the Clippers. Gives them a starting center who I'm way more confident in than Zubak. Zubak is solid, but Serge Ibaka is much better and is a better player than Montrez Harrell. So uh, they got an upgrade there. Still need to work on their playmaking for sure. And if they can get a point guard who can do that, that would help them a ton. 
Uh, but Serge Ibaka is definitely a good start for this team, and I absolutely love the signing. An excellent one for them. Next, I got Jay Crowder signing three years, $30 million to the Phoenix Suns, their team. that Their goal is very clearly to make the playoffs next year, and they've made all the correct moves to be a playoff team next year. Obviously, the Chris Paul signing is absolutely massive. Uh, the Chris Paul trade, I mean, is absolutely massive for them. Gives them uh, a guard in the backcourt next to Devin Booker who can play defense, who could be a, a really good facilitator and can help uh, Devin Booker close. They have two really good closers. DeAndre Ayton, I think, is in for a breakout season next year especially with Chris Paul who's always maximized his big men this other than Blake Griffin this is the most talented uh, big Chris Paul has had in his career especially on the offensive side of the ball he's going to be rolling to the rim getting so many easy baskets from there he's going to be expanding his range I expect to uh, out to the mid-range and to the three-point line at some point He's going to be a dominant low post presence, and I think he's in for an excellent season. And then you get Jay Crowder at that four, which was by far their biggest weakness. Uh, Dario Sarch, who re-signed with them, uh, was their four before. And Dario Sarch is a solid enough player, but getting Jay Crowder, who just fits this team perfectly, as they need a little bit more defense at that four position and someone who can really shoot the ball, uh, I absolutely love that. He's going to bring grit, toughness to that team. Uh, he's going to just bring absolutely everything they need. Uh, and is the perfect fit. This uh, Phoenix Suns team is in for a great season next year, and I think Jay Crowder is a super underrated signing uh, by them. I haven't really heard many people talk about it, but it's an excellent one for them. Uh, they absolutely killed it with this one. Got a player who perfectly fit their needs, uh, and I expect them to be probably a top six team in the Western Conference next year. This is really, really good stuff from them. Next, I got Jeff Green signing to the Brooklyn Nets for a one-year uh, vet minimum. He was really good uh, for the Rockets last year. Went super under radar under the radar for them, but was playing that small ball five and actually played some very, very good basketball for them. Though he is basically as inconsistent as it comes, he shot the ball well, he finished out the basket, played very good defense, and getting uh, on a team like the Brooklyn Nets for him for that cheap, like... There's no risk in it. It's a very, very low risk, but pretty high reward move as well. Uh, they need help at the four position. That's by far the biggest weakness. Have so getting a, a defensive four like Jeff Green, who can uh, play on offense as well, can shoot the ball. I think is basically the perfect move for them, uh, and is the move that they needed to make to uh, elevate this team to be an even better team than they already are. Uh, getting someone like that who can either come off the bench or can honestly start for them uh, and them making moves with the very little flexibility that they did have is very very important uh, and I absolutely love the Jeff Green signing definitely in my opinion the most underrated one uh, and I'm surprised he didn't get more money because he was so good for that Rockets team last year Next, we got Avery Bradley signing two years, $11.6 million for the Miami Heat. This signing just so perfectly fits the Miami Heat and their culture. Uh, Avery Bradley is going to be a super gritty defender for them who is just absolutely relentless as a defender. Works super hard on that side of the ball. Uh, can shoot the ball decent enough. Definitely isn't a great shooter by any means, but it's fine, especially with how uh, many good shooters he's going to be surrounded by. And he's just going to work his he's just going to work his ass off on the defensive side of the ball, and that's going to be so valuable for them. Uh, you're 
he's going to, he's one of those guys who's a super big pester is going to guard players all the way up the court. Uh, and Eric Spostra, Pat Riley are absolutely going to love him. I'm pretty sure that second year is a team option as well. So you still keep as much cap flexibility as you can going into the 2021 off season. And if he's a good enough player for them, it's only like 5 million. So you can accept that team option. And it's just so perfect for them. He was really good on the Lakers. He was heating up towards the end of the season with the three point shot. So if he can shoot the ball for them well enough and be the pester that he always has been on the defensive side of the ball, that's going to be a perfect fit that fits so well into the, their culture for them. And I absolutely love the Avery Bradley to the Miami Heat signing, another one that's super underrated. Next, I got Chris Dunn signing two years and $10 million to the Atlanta Hawks. Though he's a backup point guard who's not going to get crazy minutes by any means, I just love this fit so much. I love having a completely different dynamic than you do with Trey Young. Trey Young is the crazy offensive player who can shoot the ball uh, almost better than anyone in the league and is a ridiculous playmaker as well. Then you have Chris Dunn as a backup who is one of the top five defensive point guards in the entire league uh, and is really good on that side of the ball. Also can play make well enough. Uh, and has versatility as well. He was playing some like small forward for the Bulls last year. So if you put a lineup out there where it's uh, Chris Dunn in the backcourt with Trey Young, he can at least hide some of his uh, defensive deficiencies, uh, especially when you're going against a backcourt who maybe only has one like stud on the offensive side of the ball. You can put Chris Dunn on that player, and Chris Dunn is going to be completely happy just focusing on being a really good defender and nothing else. He's never going to be a player who's demanding a bunch of shots, who's going to be stalling the offense, and that's why I just love this fit so much. I think it's perfect, uh, and I think he's a great piece next to Trey Young uh, and just is great for this Atlanta Hawks team. My last best signing of the offseason, we got Mo Harkless, one year, $3.6 million to the Miami Heat. They continue to do an incredible job with uh, not much fl- cap flexibility, especially after they signed Goran Dragic to the big two-year but basically one-year contract because it's a, a team option in the second year that they did. They continue to just get so many nice players for them. Uh, and Mo Harkless had a really good season last year, was uh, subjected to being on the Knicks after being uh, very solid for the Clippers. He was traded in that Marcus Morse trade, uh, but he's just a 3-and-D wing who is very, very good on the defense side of the ball. Uh, he It was uh, rumored that he was getting a lot of offers, but he wanted to sign to a team like the Heat where he felt like he could be a contender. He could uh, prove himself and to get a bigger contract next year. And I think that's exactly what he's going to do. He's another player just like Avery Bradley who's going to fit perfectly into that culture, uh, into that coaching. And they're absolutely going to love having Mo Harkless on that team. He's going to play super hard on the defensive side of the ball. And as long as he's an average to above average uh, he, he doesn't even have to be uh, like crazy above average, just slightly above average three-point shooter. He's going to be a really nice rotation piece for them, especially with them losing a guy like Derrick Jones Jr. He can immediately slide into that backup four position and play some uh, meaningful minutes in playoff series. And, yeah, just a great signing for them to get Mo Harkless. The Miami Heat do it yet again. Uh, next, going on to my worst signings of the offseason, we got first Marcus Morris, four years, $64 million, to the Los Angeles Clippers. I absolutely hate this move. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Marcus Morris, I feel like, was a big part of the problem for the Clippers. Uh, and It's not even just him as a player. It's what he represents. Another guy who uh, is an ISO player who uh, thrives the best when he has the ball in his hands, who takes a lot of difficult shots. And that was the issue with the Clippers team last year, is that they, even though they had a lot of bodies, they didn't have a lot of pieces that actually fit 
like super well together. And Marcus Morris was one of those. He's a guy who kind of had the same exact problem on the Boston Celtics where he was just taking way too many difficult shots that you want your better players to take. And he's kind of consistently done that throughout his entire career. He, I think he thinks he's a lot better than he actually is. So I just hate this move. And I hate how much money they gave him. I hate uh, the length of the contract. Like four years, $64 million for a player like Marcus Morris. Uh, I just think is a terrible signing for the Los Angeles Clippers. I would have much rather have them, uh, had them just let him go and try and get a uh, playmaking point guard. Uh, even if you caught like an Avery Bradley type of player who... Uh, is going to be gritty on the defense side of the ball, is going to play make, and then is just going to get out of the way on offense. I would have liked that way more than getting Marcus Morris. I would have liked just filling out your bench much more with just solid pieces who actually fit instead of having a basically the same uh, player who was a big problem of that team last year uh, and just represented the problem. So absolutely hate that signing. I think it's terrible, and I wish they would have just let him go. Uh, next, I got Gordon Hayward, four years, $120 million to the Hornets. I actually don't think this is, like, the worst signing in the world. But at the end of the day, it's way too much money for a player like Gordon Hayward. I do like uh, that the Hornets are at least trying to be solid enough next year, especially with having LaMelo Ball on that roster, trying to bring some excitement, uh, get a really good three who can score, who can play make, who can play defense. Uh, that definitely will help some of their young guys. Uh, he's a player who's dealt with so many injuries on the Boston Celtics, and though a lot of them have seemed to bend like fluke injuries, uh, it's just worrisome getting a player uh, for that much money who's dealt with so many injuries throughout his career. So I would definitely be worried uh, if I was a Hornets fan, but you're really not going to get uh, many people in free agency, which is why I don't mind the money that much. It's more just like the length and how old he is as well. He's 30. You're getting him till he's 34 and uh, by that point, he could be just completely riddled with injuries, and his career could be uh, on the sharp decline at that point. Next, I got Mason Plumley signing three years, uh, $25 million for the Detroit Pistons. Just don't understand the signing at all. When you drafted Isaiah Stewart, when you already had uh, solid enough uh, front court, uh, and I just don't get signing a guy like Mason Plumley when he's much more impactful on a playoff team who can use a backup center that can play make, that can play defense, that's solid enough on offense. I just don't get why you would sign him, especially for how long they did and how much money. Like He's getting paid like $8 million a year for three years when he's already an older player. And it just, again, doesn't make sense. I talked about it earlier, but I don't get why the Detroit Pistons are so happy with just being solid. And I think... Uh, signing like Mason Plumley just completely represents that. So that's why I hate this signing so much. And last, I got another Detroit Pistons signing. I got Jeremy Grant. I actually think the money isn't too bad uh, on a contending team. I think it's bad when he's going to be asked to be a shot creator and be like one of the number one options for this team. I think that's uh, too much money when that isn't the role he thrives in. He thrives when he's just asked to be a very good defender, run the floor well, create his shots at very specific moments in the game, not when he's asked to be a main shot creator for a team that simply just isn't that good. So that's why I really don't like this signing, even though I really like Jeremy Grant as a player. If uh, the Nuggets signed him for the exact same amount of years for the exact same amount of money, which is apparently what they offered him. I I would have given this a very good signing, and I thought it would have been great. But just with the fit, don't like it at all and think it's a very bad idea. I'm going to take a break, and I'll be right back to talk about NFL Week 11. 
First game I want to talk about is Titans vs. Ravens. This was a very, very exciting one. An OT thriller that ended with Derrick Henry's walk-off touchdown. Uh, Ryan Tannehill was very solid in this game. Completed 22 of 31 passes. Threw for 259 yards. Two touchdowns. Did have an interception in there, but was still very, very good. Derrick Henry, as always, just dominates. He's such a ridiculous player. Two uh, 28 carries, 133 yards, and a touchdown, obviously uh, capped off by that game-winning uh, rushing touchdown that he got. Corey Davis had five receptions for 113 yards. A.J. Brown continues to be incredible like he has all season. Uh, four receptions for 62 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and their defense, though not playing great, did step up uh, in certain key moments and uh, played decently. Would always still like to see him get more pressure on the quarterback because that's been a big issue for them. Uh, Jadavion Clowney was deciding that I was excited about but has brought basically absolutely nothing to their team. Uh, and Steven Goskowski made all three of his field goals, which... You do worry about sometimes, but he's been a lot better recently. Uh, they contained Lamar Jackson very well. Uh, they contained this predictable Ravens offense, which has been really disappointing. And yeah, Lamar had 17 completions for 29 yards, 100, uh, 17 completions on 29 attempts for 186 yards, a touchdown and an interception. Did show some nice uh, pocket uh, poise, was uh, doing a really good job of avoiding defenders, and did march down the field towards the end of the game pretty well. Uh, I just don't believe in this Ravens offense, uh, like I've said basically the entire year. I just don't believe this team could be a contender. They're so predictable. Uh, teams have really caught on to uh, their play calling after. Uh, it was a big thing that tricked a lot of teams last year, and they still uh, didn't solve their problem of lacking a number one receiver. Like, their running game is good. J.K. Dobbins was good this game, had 70 yards, uh, and a touchdown average 4.7. Lamar had 51 yards. Mark Andrews was great this game, like he's been in these past couple seasons for the Ravens. Uh, Des Bryant even got a lot more involved than we've seen these past couple games. Had four receptions for 28 yards. But they lack a number one receiver. Marquise Brown has been really disappointing this season. He didn't even have a single uh, reception or yard this game. Uh, he was just uh, really disappointing, as he's been the entire season. And this Ravens team... It, is just a team that I can't believe in. They're good on the defensive side of the ball. They're good on offense, but I just think until they get a number one receiver and until, uh, honestly, they probably change their play calling up and get uh, someone who can draw up better plays, I don't think they're going to go anywhere. Uh, like I said this entire year, I'm just not a believer in this Ravens team, and I'll continue to be until they prove me wrong, which they aren't. They're the third team in their division now, and, yeah, it's not looking good for the Ravens. Next, I want to talk about Eagles versus Browns. It's time to give up on Carson Wentz. I'm completely done giving him any excuses. I've been hard on him all year, but it's just over for me for uh, Carson Wentz. I'm absolutely done having any belief in him. I don't care that he's dealt with injuries on his offensive line. I don't care that he's dealt with injuries at the receiver position. It's absolutely unacceptable for a player who's being paid this much to be one of the top five worst quarterbacks in the entire league. And Carson Wentz has been that this year. He's been a turnover machine, uh, turning the ball over at least once every single game almost two times every game with his fumbles and his interceptions. He holds on to the ball for way too long every single play. 
Uh, and even though his offensive line isn't great, it's not the reason why he's gotten sacked that much. It's because he tries to extend the play every single time, and he always is trying to be Superman. He's never just fine with getting rid of the ball, which is a big problem, and that's why he has so many turnovers. It's the IQ more than anything. He has all the physical talent in the world to be a truly elite quarterback, and that's why I think so many people believed in Carson Wentz. That's why I believed in Carson Wentz last year. Uh, but he's been terrible this year, and there's absolutely no excuse for this performance. And this wasn't even one of his worst performances. He had 235 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, and then one of his interceptions was because, wow, surprising, he holds onto the ball for too long and then throws it, and it's a pick six. It's just what Carson Wentz has been doing all year, uh, and he showed zero improvement. If anything, he's regressed from the beginning of the season where he hasn't wasn't good at that point anyway, and I'm just absolutely done believing in Carson Wentz. I feel like he needs to be held way more accountable, and honestly, he may need to be sat down, though Jalen Hurts, uh, I don't believe, would be much better. Uh, just, just as far as an accountability thing, I think it might be the right idea to sit him down and really just have a talk with him and let him know that this play is absolutely unacceptable. And I think people in media, I think Eagles fans need to stop giving him so many excuses. Because, yeah, are the circumstances not perfect? Obviously, but they're not perfect for anyone. And are is he not in the best circumstances compared to some of these other quarterbacks? No, but we've seen so many quarterbacks make up for that. And a quarterback who is as talented, because Carson Wentz, though being this bad this season, is still ridiculous as a talent. It's just the IQ is just like, what happened? What happened to MVP Carson Wentz where he was making these magical plays? It felt like so many times a game. And now he just makes a couple good plays and then a lot of basically everything else is bad he's missing open receivers he's holding on to the ball too long and getting hit getting sacked it's just an absolute mess he's fumbling it like it's a big problem and i'm so frustrated and i'm absolutely done with uh holding out any hope for carson Wentz. it's time to move on from him uh, and he's stuck on this eagles team with a big contract but yeah, it's just really, really bad. You need to run the ball more. Uh, Miles Sanders only had 16 carries, and he's been great this season. Uh, that's another one of the things that frustrates me. It's like Miles Sanders is a really good running back who's been excellent for the Seagulls team, and Carson Wentz just continues to underperform for them. Uh, again, it's time to move on. Carson Wentz is just not a uh, – Dallas Goddard had 77 yards and a touchdown. Richard Rodgers had 48 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Jalen Rager got involved, got 52 yards. Uh, Miles Sanders fumbled early in the game. They lost that. Carson Wentz fumbled, but they didn't lose it. Uh, their defense actually did do a pretty good job of getting after Baker Mayfield. Got three sacks on the game. Uh, got a couple tackles for loss, but it's, it's again, it's just on Carson Wentz. I'm sick of believing in him. I know I've enforced this point quite a lot, uh, but, yeah. And it, they didn't even have to win this game. They just didn't have to look so bad because uh, Baker Mayfield was not good in this game at all he had completed 12 of 22 passes for 204 yards at the beginning of the game missed a completely wide open uh, I think it was Austin Hooper in the end zone that was atrocious uh, that was it's time to give up on Baker Mayfield too but luckily he at least has a better running game uh, Nick Chubb had 20 carries for 114 yards uh, Kareem Hunt was awful this game had 13 carries for 11 yards did have a touchdown in there though on the passing game really just wasn't that much of a factor uh but it 
it was good enough. And that's kind of been this Browns team the entire year. Even though they're 7-3, and three, they are really just not that convincing. They're just kind of good enough every single game to pass by. And, I mean, they're the second team in their division now. Uh, and their defense uh, sacked Carson once plenty of times because he doesn't know how to throw the ball away. Uh, Olivia Vernon had three sacks. Adrian Claiborne had a sack and a half. And Larry Okajobi had a half sack in there. Uh, I mean, the Browns are probably like the least convincing 7-3 team I've seen in a long, long time. But at the end of the day, they are 7-3. and three. They're probably going to make the playoffs. And uh, con- congratulations to the Browns for that. It's really cool to see. Next, I got Packers versus Colts. This was a very, very interesting game. As the Colts did go down uh, pretty big early, they went down uh, 28-14 in the second quarter. But they fought back, won in overtime. Uh, and I really like this Colts team, even though I wouldn't be like betting on them to win a Super Bowl or anything. I like them as a sleeper contender. Phillip Rivers, though he terrifies me every single game about him turning the ball over too much, he did have a good one in this one. Had 288 yards, three touchdowns, did have an interception, as he always is going to have. Jonathan Taylor was uh, much more effective than he had been previously. He'd been super disappointing this season, but he had 22 carries for 90 yards. Uh, Michael Pittman has uh, 66 yards and a touchdown, uh, and they just do enough on offense every single game to be very solid, uh, and they were even better than that. I got to give them credit. They were really good on the offensive side of the ball, but they've been really impressive on defense. I I love the way they play on defense. Darius Leonard is one of the best uh, linebackers in the entire NFL, uh, and he's been excellent this season. DeForest Buckner was a ridiculous pickup for them that I feel like uh, went pretty under the radar. They only had to trade the four- 13th pick for a super talented player uh, in him. Justin Houston is a, a good pass rusher. I think they're coached super well. Uh, their kicker, uh, Rodrigo Blankenship, has been excellent this season, has hit so many big-time field goals for them, and has been a huge part in why this team is successful. Uh, and I just think they're such a nice, well-rounded team that could beat a lot of different teams and uh, could put up a fight against some very, very good teams. I'm a big fan of this Colts team. I've been uh, pretty adamant about believing in them all year, and this was a great win for them. Aaron Rodgers was great in this game as well. I mean, he completed 27 of 38 passes, 311 yards, three touchdowns, did have an interception, made some beautiful throws in there. Aaron Rodgers really didn't run the ball that much, but was effective when he did. Uh, had 41 yards and a touchdown. Touchdowns. Devontae Adams has continued to be ridiculous like he's been all season. Uh, he had 106 yards and a touchdown. Uh, they could really use uh, Lazard back. That's been a big injury for them as Marcus Valding Scantley has had to be the second receiver. Uh, he had that very uh, costly fumble that lost them the game. It was just uh, some bad timing for them, some like miscommunication. That was super unfortunate. On uh, this defense, though they can get after the quarterback solidly, thing that worries me is their run defense is atrocious. Like that's gonna be the thing that holds them back from being uh, a real contender for me is how bad this run defense is. We saw it get exposed last year, and we've seen it get exposed again this year. It's much of the same problems for the Packers. Where outside of Devontae Adams, they don't have many weapons. Adam Lazard has been injured. Uh, and then their run defense is terrible. It's basically the exact same problems they've had last year. And even though Aaron Rodgers has been much better than he was last year, and his team is still very solid, I just can't believe in him. Uh, I can't believe in them with this run defense being so bad. Uh, that's going to be the thing that holds them back from being a contender, which sucks, but it is what it is.
Uh, next, I want to talk about Falcons versus Saints. Uh, we had Taysom Hill's first start at quarterback in his career, and he played very, very good. Completed 18 of 23 passes for 233 yards. Didn't have a touchdown, but also didn't have an interception. Uh, he was doing, honestly, a lot of the similar things Drew Brees does, uh, just being pretty conservative, throwing underneath. Uh, getting the ball to Michael Thomas plenty full. And Michael Thomas had nine receptions for 104 yards. He's made such a big impact ever since he's come back. Uh, it's just been excellent for them. Taysom Hill also had 10 carries for 51 yards and two touchdowns. He was huge on the run on uh, the ground. Latavius Murray uh, and Alvin Kamara both got a similar amount of action. Uh, and Alvin Kamara had a touchdown as well. I was really impressed with how Taysom Hill played. Uh, and his ability to scramble out more and honestly having a better arm at this point than Drew Brees uh, adds a nice little dynamic to this team, especially with Drew Brees having uh, the rib injury. Uh, and I think he can be serviceable enough to uh, keep them in it and be have a very good record by the time Drew Brees comes back. Uh, the Saints are just a super good team who's been playing some very impressive football uh, this year, especially recently. They've been playing some of the uh, best football I've seen in a while, and I, I believe in this uh, Saints team a lot more than I did at the beginning of the season. I really was unimpressed by them at the beginning of the season, but they've played a lot, lot better. Uh, and again, loved what I saw from Taysom Hill. Uh, the running game was solid. Michael Thomas has been uh, amazing ever since he's came back. Emmanuel Sanders is a good second receiver. Uh, but was what was most impressive on this team was the defense. The defense played excellent football in this one. Janoris Jenkins and Marcus Williams both got an interception. Uh, they were getting after Matt Ryan like crazy. Cameron Jordan had three sacks. Demario Davis had a sack. Uh, David on. Onyema had two sacks. Uh, Trey Hendrickson had two sacks. Like they were getting after Matt Ryan like crazy. And uh, after they scored uh, nine po points in the first half, they got completely shut down the rest of the game. And Matt Ryan was terrible. Completed 19 to 37 passes, 232 yards, and two interceptions. No touchdowns. Running game was really ineffective as well. And if the Saints can continue to play defense like this, then man. They are going to be tough, tough to be, especially in an NFC where there isn't a clear number one team. I think the Saints are starting to emerge as that clear number one team in the NFC. Uh, and I've been super impressed by these past couple weeks. I mean, Calvin Ridley had a good game. Julio Jones got injured. And literally the second after he got injured, it seemed like they were just completely lost on offense and didn't know what to do. Uh, they didn't get after, They did get after the quarterback uh, pretty well. Uh, but Taysom Hill kind of sliced them up, and their offense was really bad. And it was a nice win for the Saints. It was some uh, impressive football from them. Uh, and I just love what I've seen from them these past couple weeks. I believe in them much more to be a uh, contender and the best team in the NFC. Next, I want to talk about Chiefs versus Raiders. An incredible game, a shootout versus two very good teams. And the Las Vegas Raiders are legit i know they did lose this game but they are legit legit they are the only team that have beat the chiefs so far and they stayed competitive throughout this game this was a really close one uh Derek carr played very well completed 23 of 31 passes 275 yards three touchdowns that interception at the end of the game was a boneheaded play but I mean, other than that, he played almost perfectly. Josh Jacobs uh, wasn't great in this one, but their running game has been so effective all year, and they do such a great job of controlling the clock. He did still have a touchdown in 55 yards. Nelson Aguilar continues to be great like he has been all year for them. Uh, had 88 yards and a touchdown. Darren Waller 
uh, just has been unguardable at the tight end position this year for any team that's facing him. Basically, the only team that did a pretty good job of containing him with the Patriots. Uh, he had 88 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and I just love how explosive this offense is. This offense has so much potential to at any moment just go off. And uh, they're really, really impressive on that side of the ball. I wish Henry Ruggs got involved a little bit more, but when he does get involved, he's a player that uh, can have those explosive moments. Uh, is a real deep threat who is really hard uh, to guard because uh, almost no one can match his ridiculous speed. Uh, and even though their defense is concerning, and that's the reason why they lost this game is because their defense is pretty terrible, uh, their offense is so good and they're pretty well coached. So I just love what this Raiders team has done this year. They're a legit contender in my my opinion, and I don't think many teams are going to be able uh, to stop this Raiders offense. And even though they may be able to expose the defense, the offense is so good that I could I could see them honestly facing up against the Chiefs in the playoffs. Uh, I could see them making it pretty, pretty far. And they would be one of those teams that, though I wouldn't bet on them to upset the Chiefs, they could for sure with just how explosive this offense is. And they are one of those teams that can win a shootout. And if they had a playoff game against the Chiefs, it definitely would be a shootout. And it'd be really, really exciting to see. Uh, Patrick Mahomes was incredible, as he's been this entire year. As should definitely be the MVP, in my opinion. Completed uh, 34, 45 passes, 348 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, makes his magical throws like he always does. Did have an interception, but was still great. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had 69 yards, two touchdowns. Le'Veon Bell had his first touchdown as a Kansas City Chief. Uh, Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill continue to be ridiculous. Travis Kelsey ha is having one of the like better tight end years of all time, and I feel like he's gone so under the radar, gone so underappreciated for the year he's having. Uh, he has some of the most receiving yards at the tight end position, which is uh, just so impressive. Uh, had 127 receiving yards, a touchdown. Tyreek Hill had 102 yards and a touchdown. Uh, this offense is just really, really special. And though they're they're similar to the Raiders, they're obviously much better because they just have more talent on that roster. Uh, their defense is concerning. They didn't get after the quarterback at all this game. I don't think either team got a sack, uh, and it was definitely a shootout. But the Chiefs can the Chiefs can win those type of games, and they're by far the best team in the NFL, in my opinion. Steelers obviously are undefeated still, uh, ten and zero, but the Chiefs are just ridiculous, and I I can't see any team stopping them. They're just too special to be stopped by any team. Next and last, we're going to talk about Dolphins versus Broncos. Some very interesting things went down in this game as Tua Tungvaluwa did get benched. And I have pretty mixed feelings on that because uh, he was not playing a good game. Completed 11 of 20 passes, had 83 yards and a touchdown. Uh, but you also have to take into consideration that this offensive line was getting destroyed by the Broncos. I felt so bad for Tua. He was just getting ripped to shreds by this uh, defense. He got sacked like I think it was five or six times. It was really, really bad. And it wasn't a case where he was holding on to the ball too long. It was just that he really didn't have much time at all. And uh, you got to put that into context. And the thing that I don't like about the benching is I feel like the second he was put into adversity and he was put in a really tough position where he had to come up big and um, have a big moment. They put they put him on the bench, and even though he's going to continue to be the starter after this, I, I just don't want them to do something like that again. I want to see him where he has adversity because everything uh, throughout his career so far has been 
uh, pretty easy for him. In the Rams game, it was a win before it even started, it felt like, with how crazy the defense played. They got the special teams touchdown. The Chargers game, he just kind of coasted uh, easy and was uh, very solid throughout uh, and won that game. I just want to see to a, a, uh, with some adversity and not be pulled out the second he's faced with a challenge, which... Uh, felt like that was what they were doing. But I also do like that they're holding him accountable uh, and letting him know playing bad is unacceptable. Uh, and Especially with his comments where he was talking about, like, oh, the NFL is much easier than I expected. It's a tough-ass league where you have a, you have grown men who are coming, to, coming after you, especially with that terrible offensive line that they have. Uh, so I, I'm, I have pretty mixed feelings on it. In one way, I think it's good that they're holding him accountable. They're letting him know, especially when they want to be a playoff team, that bad play is unacceptable. But I also want to see him with adversity and where he's really challenged to be an elite quarterback and be special because he's been good so far, but he hasn't had a special moment yet. And I feel like that could have been it if he was kept in. But yeah, definitely mixed feelings on it. But at the end of the day, he's their starter going on. And hopefully he can, uh, can he hopefully he can play some good football in the future. Uh, I mean, on the Broncos side, Drew Locke played a solid enough game. Completed 18 to 30 passes, had 270 yards, did have an interception, but played solid. It was mostly the running game that stood out. The running game truly dominated uh, the Dolphins. Uh, Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay basically had equal yards. Melvin Gordon had 84. Philip Lindsay had 82. Melvin Gordon had two touchdowns. And when that uh, running back tandem is healthy, they're really really. Uh, special and they're dominant tim patrick had five uh receptions for 119 yards no fan got involved jerry judy got involved uh, but it was mostly their defense and their pass rush that really stood out they were getting after Tua a lot really uh, shaking him up putting a lot of pressure on him justin simmons got the interception to close the game uh where ryan fitzpatrick just didn't know notice that he was there and he made a very good play on the ball uh, but, yeah, the Broncos did play some impressive football. I'm so excited to see how they play next year when they're healthy because they've dealt with so many injuries, and they've still been a solid enough team. Four and six in a pretty tough division where they have to face good competition is an impressive record so far. So I do I did like what I saw from the Broncos this game, uh, and I'll be interested to see what happens with the Dolphins going forward. I expect them to continue to be uh, a very good team. They're six and four now. Uh, still have a, a good lead on the Patriots. There's no chance that they're going to end up getting ahead of the Bills, uh, but they still will be a good enough team to probably make a uh, wild card. And I like this Dolphins team a ton. Love their coaching. I really like Tua, on, and I like what I've seen from them all year, basically. So, yeah, that has been the episode of the Under Pressure Podcast. Hope you enjoyed. It's been Michael. Peace out.